This morning, we are going to focus on the longest recorded speech by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. And it's a speech that took place in Athens at the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was the city council in the city of Athens. And at those council meetings, all kinds of decisions were made, things, decisions regarding building projects, decisions regarding uh, money investments, but also at the Areopagus, among that circle of leaders, uh, people would hold debates and consider various ideas and thoughts and new philosophies. And uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, on his missionary journey, uh, was given the opportunity to come before the Areopagus and to explain what he had been teaching in the synagogues. And there were two groups of philosophers who had been listening in to what Paul had been teaching in the synagogues. They were the Epicureans and the Stoics, uh, two groups of Greek philosophers. And uh, they, hearing Paul, said, Paul, you got to come to the Areopagus and we will give you the stage, we will put you up to bat, and you can tell us all about your ideas there. So this uh, is then the story of what happened in Athens. I'd like to read it for you now. It's Acts 17, beginning at verse 16. Here we go. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and this is what he said, and here's what we're going to be focusing on, what he said in that setting. Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this 
so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Well, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in our town of Aurelia, the city council proposed a new waterfront development which would be built right behind the little house that we just bought. And we found out about that one month after we bought our house. We bought the house because it had a nice view of the water. And that view will now disappear behind a row of townhouses. Go figure. So we had a, a concern about that, but our big concern was about parking. Because as we lived there, we saw that many people parked right in the area behind our house in order to get at the boat launch and the waterfront. And so we decided when the invitation was given to the city to come and address the council with concerns that we would bring our concern. And so we brought our concern about the need for parking. Where are all those people going to park? If you build that development exactly behind our house, where everybody's been parking. Now, I mention this to you because I want you to know how I felt when the night came, and in fact, we spoke on two occasions, when the, the evening meeting came, and there was the mayor and all the council persons, and there was an audience of other concerned people, and then came that moment, because your name gets put on the list, when they call your name. And now it's your time to go to the front and speak what you have carefully prepared. I want you to know that I was sweating buckets. And I'm used to speaking in public, but it was just something about that setting. Can you imagine? And the intensity of that, and the, I mean, the mayor is looking at you. And there you go, and you present your views. Now imagine for a moment, all of us now, any one of us, being invited to the council chambers in Oshawa or in Bowenville, not to debate the merits of a parking lot versus a development, but to explain and debate what you believe as a Christian. Imagine going to the council in Oshawa 
and standing before the mayor and all the council persons and having them say, okay, this is your shot at it. This is your chance. We're all ears. Tell us what you believe as a Christian. What would you say? <laughs> How would you proceed? How would you feel? Even knowing that there were some fellow believers on the council and the staff, people who attended the Anglican Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Roman Catholic Church, the United Church. How would you feel in that setting talking about this most important thing, your faith and your belief in Christ? Well, that's what happened to Paul. That's what happened to Paul. Except that he was invited to explain the Christian faith to a supreme court known as the Areopagus, the highest, most influential tribunal in the capital city of Greece, Athens. It met monthly to make decisions impacting all of its decisions. It met monthly and often to debate all things political, religious, economic, philosophical. And not one member not one member was a follower of Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And who invited Paul anyway? Well, two groups of philosophers who were quite critical of him, who had heard Paul speak publicly about his faith in God, and especially how God had raised Jesus from the dead. The first group of philosophers were Epicureans, who are the Epicureans? What did they stand for? Well, they advocated a simple, tranquil, moral life based on a calm acceptance of death as the end of body and soul. They believed that various gods existed, but these gods did not intervene in human life, and they did not hold humans accountable for their moral behavior. So no belief in life after death, no belief in gods that would intervene in human life. Those were the Epicureans. The second group of philosophers were Stoics, and we all know the word Stoicism, that sort of calm and analytical and logical, emotion-free approach to life, where whatever comes, you handle it, well, stoically. They had a calm, fatalistic acceptance of whatever life threw their way. And as far as what they believed about the gods, they weren't really into all these different gods that people believed in back then, but instead they believed that the universe itself is God, and everything and everyone is God, and nature is all. You can see then why these Epicureans and these Stoics thought that Paul was just a babbler when he talked about a God who is a father and about a son who is raised from the dead by this heavenly father. Now, to their credit, these two groups of philosophers did not seek to jail Paul like the people in Philippi did or to stir up a mob against Paul as they did in Thessalonica or Berea the other cities just previous to Paul's visit in Athens. And the thing about these philosophers is, is this, they really 
enjoyed keenly a good debate. In fact, they relished nothing more than an intellectual and philosophical victory over an opponent. For among the Greeks, nothing proved one's manliness more than crushing someone else's point of view in a public debate. So they couldn't wait to crush Paul at the next meeting of the Areopagus. Well, as Paul went to the Areopagus at the invitation of these philosophers, what was his state of mind? Well, Acts 17 says that he was greatly distressed. But it wasn't just because he was nervous about the setting or anxious about speaking to such an august assembly of people. No, it went deeper, to that, deeper than that. We're told in this chapter that he was distressed because he had toured the city of Athens and discovered it was full of idols and related temples. In fact, the list of idols was endless. It seemed that every value, every power, every facet of life seemed to have its own god or goddess. Some of these names you will have heard before. Aphrodite, the goddess of love, sex, and beauty. Artemis, the goddess of the hunt. Apollo, the god of divine will and oracles. Demeter, the god of agriculture. Hades, the god of the underworld and the dead. Poseidon, the god of the sea, earthquakes and horses. Zeus, the god of the weather. And the most important goddess in Athens, Athena, the goddess of reason, wisdom, and war, who was worshipped at the city's biggest temple, the Parthenon. And all kinds of other gods had their own busts and full-bodied statues or temples too. So Paul, as a believer in God the Father and Jesus the Son, was distressed as he toured the city, and rightly so. But he was also fired up and glad for the opportunity to share his Christian faith. So now, can you see him? Can you imagine him striding up those marble stairs in front of those huge columns, approaching the large assembly of skeptical intellectuals and philosophers? Was he sweating under his robe? No doubt. But the joy and the knowledge of knowing the risen Christ gave him exceptional courage and wisdom. And the result is the longest recorded speech by Paul in the book of Acts. Now, what I was interested in was, what did he say? I know that when I had to make that presentation to our city council in Aurelia, well, get this. He started with a compliment. Isn't that cool? He said, and remember, he was very distressed about all of those idols and temples, right? But instead of diving and just criticizing them for that, judging them for that, he said this, I see that in every way you are very religious. He began with a spoonful of honey. And then he continued to what my professor of systematic theology way back when, I'm going to be using the Dutch word for this, he called it an anknopingspunt. 
That's a kind of a theological idea. It means a point of contact. An, on, knopings, knotted, punt, point. So you have to imagine this rope, it's hanging there, and here comes this other rope. He found one, he found one in the city that he could agree on. He found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And then he basically said, today I intend to make this unknown God known. I'm ways to initiate meaningful conversations, especially about faith, with others. Examples of, of these common points of faith that have really helped us at those times, because that always involves some nervousness too, right? Will the visit go well? Will we connect? How will it go? And a couple of things have been really helpful. One, simply by looking around, any of these things have often proven to be effective conversation starters. Like just, we're making contact. There's some common ground here. And even the shyest or most reluctant person can be engaged in conversation that eventually leads into a conversation about our faith in that situation. That's what I'm talking about, finding common ground. If you only have interest and love to give. So, a couple of months ago, I had one of these unknowing prints moments that presented itself right in my front yard. I was raking my front lawn, and a young man walked by with whom I've had a number of conversations. He's a local artist. We've even gone to one of his art shows. So I felt like I've gotten to know him. But on this particular occasion, a couple months ago, he told me that he was moving away to another city, either to work or even go back to school. And he wondered how it would go and if he could even afford the move, especially since it probably meant more tuition and he was a poor, struggling artist. And then he said this. He said, but I feel nudged to take this scary step. That's what he said. I'm leaning on my rake, listening to him. He says, I feel nudged to take this scary step. Well, when I heard him use the word nudge, I felt nudged. And I realized, looking back, it was the Lord nudging, I'm sure. I felt nudged to take the conversation in a certain direction. And this is what I said to him. And we had not really talked about faith before. We had just mostly talked about his art. At that moment, knowing that he was moving, that this was an opportunity, I said this. I said, in my worldview, a nudge like that is often a little push from God that I have to take seriously. <laughs> That's what I said. To which he said, actually, I still have to figure out this whole religious thing. Isn't that cool? Here you are, leaning on a rake. 
talking about nudges, and now we're talking about nudges from God. All this to say that tie-ins and connections that can lead to meaningful conversations were not just available to Paul in the New Testament times, but they're also readily available to all of us, as long as we're open to them and willing to use them. Now, I'm going to very quickly sum up the rest of what Paul did and said. Remember, he's talking to all these philosophers. There's this opening now. We're going to talk about the unknown God. And what's Paul going to say? And what he said is something that we can all remember and incorporate into our conversations too, or at least in our thinking about how we ourselves see God. Without going into all the details of all the verses, let me just say this, that he talked about three things and then ended with a real clincher. He first talked about God's omnipotence, God's all-powerful essence. And he did this to show to these Greek listeners that his God did intervene in human life. And his God was not creation, but the creator of all creation. He talked about God's omnipotence. And then, as you read carefully through the speech, the next thing he talked about was God's omnipresence. The fact that God was not just stuck in a temple somewhere or stuck in a statue somehow, but that this God was everywhere you looked. He could not be contained by a temple or a statue the way the Greeks had tried to do with their gods. God's omnipresence. And then he talked about God's omniscience, God's all-knowingness, omni, all science, knowledge, God's all-knowing. And he explained how God knew everything, even to the point where he determined the times and the places of human beings. Now, I'm thinking to myself that as these philosophers listened to him, that all of this would have been quite interesting to them, perhaps quite upsetting to them, but still quite reasonable to them. Omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, the three core attributes of God that are taught in every decent systematics course. But then Paul added the clincher. And remember, he's talking to a group of people who do not believe in what happens after we die. Paul then said, justice will come and the judge will be the person whom God has raised from the dead and his name is Jesus. And it's at that point that he got the strong reaction that he did when we read that people actually sneered. And it feels to me like the audience then broke into two groups, sneer and hear. 
Shut up already, Paul. Tell me more, Paul. The two groups. And the remarkable thing is, at the end of this, a few men and a woman believed. And I'm sure that was the beginning of the Christian church in Athens. This is how God made the unknown God known. What about us? That actually is our calling, is to make the unknown God known. It's a calling that we have as parents for our children. It's a calling that we have for our friends and colleagues. It's a calling that we have for our neighbors. It's a calling for those who come along on the sidewalk to chat about their art. And it's a wonderful calling, but it's a scary calling. And it makes me sweat a lot. And perhaps the thought of it makes you sweat too. But it's so helpful to learn from Paul how he did it in that stressful situation, to realize that he began with some common ground. We can do that. We can look for that common ground and dive in. And to realize that very simply, all that he did was say, look in my view, you know, like, there's this God who's all, par all powerful. There's this God who is everywhere present. There's this God who is all-knowing, and serving him is something that I do, and I could invite you to do that too. And I think, I think life will be better if you do. And, and then you'll have to, at some point, come to the clincher where you go, well, actually, this God did one remarkable thing, which makes him really stand out from all the other gods. He actually raised somebody from the dead. And, yeah, I'm living my life believing that one day I'll be raised from the dead too because I believe in Jesus and I wish that for you. That's what I get out of Paul's speech. This is what we can all get out of Paul's speech. I just want to finish now with how the rest of the conversation went with this young artist on my sidewalk in front of my house. Remember, he had just said... Actually, I still have to figure out this whole religious thing. Remember that? And then this is what the Spirit gave me to say in a moment. Because I know it didn't just come from me. But this is what I said to him. I said, you know, if, think about it. If God is nudging you to make this move, Imagine how this next step in your life would feel if you knew that the same God who is nudging you will also open doors for you and provide what you need, even if you take the big step of returning to school. <laughs> That's kind of how that went. So then he had one last thought before he kind of went on his way. This is the last thing that he said to me as he left. In response to my suggestion that this God, who's nudging you, could also be there providing for you in the city that you're moving to, he said this, well, then I could look for ways to give back. Isn't that awesome? Then I could look for ways to give back.
Oh, that's exactly what we're looking for in people. God loves us, we love back. God gives his son, we give back. You everybody was walking along the road or figuring this religious thing out for himself. As I trust, we all will figure it out. Let's pray together. And so we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to take a closer look at how Paul handled himself at the Areopagus. And we thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from his example about how to approach others and to share our faith with others and to, and to just be used by you when you nudge us. Come on now, open your mouth, say something. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you too, Lord, for your son, whom you raised from the dead, and for the way that he has drawn us into fellowship and into the communion that we will now celebrate. We give you all praise and all thanks. And even as we pray, Lord, we're just going to all together for a moment pray for this young artist in this new city. And we pray, Lord, that you will put different people in his path so that he will figure this religious thing out and ultimately even come to believe that you sent your son for him too. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.